0: I have to go to full commission. Yeah, I can't have to go to All right. All is, right. All
1: right.
2: Oh, oh,
3: wow. He does it all. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is now 6 p.m. Uh, this is Jody Meyer, chair of the Historic Resources Commission. We'll go ahead and call to order um, tonight's meeting, February 16th. Do you want to give the preliminary information regarding the meeting.
4: Yes, thank you. Uh, Good evening and welcome to the February 16th Historic Resources Commission meeting. My name is Avery Kerner and I will be helping to facilitate the Zoom portion of tonight's hybrid meeting. Before we begin, I have just a few reminders for everyone. Tonight's meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. For those who are joining the meeting via Zoom, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not actively speaking to help minimize distractions. We also ask that everyone state their name each time they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. With that, I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair.
3: This is Chair Meyer. We'll go ahead and take roll call for this evening. Commissioner Irby.
4: Commissioner Irby here.
3: Commissioner Johnson.
5: Commissioner Johnson here. Commissioner Ezell. I see him.
3: He is here, he's muted. Commissioner Klein.
6: Commissioner Klein present.
3: Commissioner Coleman. Commissioner
7: Coleman here. Commissioner Hawley. Commissioner Hawley here.
3: All right, we have a full deck tonight um we will then move on to the first item on our agenda which is communications do we have communications from other commissions the state historic preservation officer or the general public
1: you do have a couple of communications this evening that were for a specific agenda item and they were added to the packet this morning or actually yesterday afternoon
3: All right. Uh, this Once chair,
1: again, where may we find those? Commissioner Klein, I'm asking where to find those communications. They, in our they are with the item number in your packet. If you click on, click on the agenda item report. Okay, thank you.
3: Mrs. Chair Meyer again. Uh, we will move on to disclosure of ex parte communications. Has there been any ex parte communications between individuals and any members. I don't see any. Um, We will then take up declaration of abstentions for specific agenda items by commissioners. I'm sorry, Jeannie, did you, are you raising your hand? No, okay. Uh, Is there any abstentions from specific agenda items this evening by commissioners?
8: I do have my hand up now, um, Commissioner or Chair Meyer. Um, I had one question on one of the items in regard to um, 409 North Second Street. I was wondering if we could, if I could ask that question separately. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, my question is, um, they're asking to demolish a yellow brick building next to Johnny's Tavern, and I was, um, I'm aware of the fact that there's uh, going to uh, be a a block redevelopment at some point in the future. So my question was, are they planning to demolish one building at a time and um, how will that affect Johnny's Tavern?
1: Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator, they were going ahead and taking down this part because of the structural nature and trying to move forward with getting some drawings done for the proposed redevelopment. Um, There are a couple of other structures that have been approved for demolition, and it depends on their timeline and how they're um, proceeding with the project as to when those demolition permits will come through. This was approved by the HRC previously. Okay, thank you.
3: Okay, this is Chair Meyer again. I don't think there were any abstentions from specific agenda items this evening. We'll then move on to committee reports. Do we have any committee reports this evening?
1: The marker, Historic Marker Subcommittee did meet and discussed um, the marker for... Um, Margaret Vinegar, who the Equal Justice Initiative has um, provided a marker and the marker committee met. The markers already been fabricated. So there was no discussion about the context of the marker, but rather it was for placement purposes. And the committee voted to um, work with Parks and Rec Department to find a location at 8th and Kentucky Street. Um, And so we'll be working with Parks and Recreation in the future to get a specific location for that marker at that location.
0: Chair Meyer again, all right,
3: thank you. Um, We will then move on to our consent agenda this evening. There are administrative approvals, um, a number of design review applications is there any public comment on this item?
4: This is Avery Kerner planning staff. It doesn't look like any anyone wants to provide public comment on this item.
0: This is Chair Meyer. Is there any commission discussion on this item? <clears throat> I will move then that we confirm the design review
3: applications according to the standards and information listed in the staff report for each application. Is there a second? Commissioner Klein seconds. All right, there's been a motion in a second, so we'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Irby.
5: Commissioner Irby, aye. Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Zell.
7: Commissioner Zell, aye.
3: Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein, aye. Commissioner Coleman? Commissioner Coleman, aye. Commissioner Hawley?
7: Commissioner Hawley, aye.
3: And Commissioner Myers, an aye, so that motion carries 7-0. On the next item on our agenda is general public comment. Is there any general public comment this evening?
4: This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. It doesn't look like there's anyone via Zoom wanting to provide general public comment.
3: All right, then we'll move on to our public hearing items. The first of our public hearing items this evening is the Old West Lawrence National Register nomination.
1: Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic (laughs) Resources Administrator. Um, This project was actually a result of a Historic Preservation Fund grant from the State Historic Preservation Office. It's passed through money from the National Park Service because the city's a certified local government. um, We received this grant to look at the Old West Lawrence neighborhood. There is a National Register Historic District existing in the neighborhood. It was done in 1972 and the entire nomination, I think was four pages long. So it wasn't very informative and it did not have a contributing and non-contributing list this grant was to provide for additional research for um, the district and come up with a list of contributing and non-contributing structures. And with that, I'll turn it over to the consultant to
5: give you a little brief overview of what they found.
9: Thank you, Lynn. I'm gonna share my screen. I've got a presentation prepared for you all. Uh Can somebody just give me a thumbs up that you can see the screen? Yes, okay. Um, So my name is Sandy Shannon and I am a senior architectural historian um and was the project manager for this project so thank you for having me today Um, i am going to walk you through the purpose of the old west lawrence historic district project provide a little bit more background and then describe our survey and the results and the national register update um, so to begin, the, like Lynn said, the pur- purpose of the project was to resurvey the historic district and then update the district's nomination formally. Um, like she mentioned, it was funded by a Kansas Historical Society um, grant through the National Park Service. So, Old West Lawrence was listed in 1972. Again, it hasn't been updated since then. It's been more than 50 years since it was designated. Um, It was designated as a residential district significant for its collection of mid-19th to early 20th century architecture. Um, So it is common practice to update older district nominations for many reasons, the first is that places experience changes over time, 52 years has passed since the original nomination, um, and cities need, you know, accurate documentation of which buildings are present today and historic districts and their conditions. Um, So the inventory of buildings in the National Register nomination needs to be updated regularly to account for those changes. Um, the second reason we update nominations is that the standards have changed over time. Like Lynn said, um, we had a four page nomination before. Um, nominations of the era were pretty brief in terms of describing the history and significance of a district. Um, and they also lacked a lot of the technical details that are required today. Um, the last reason we update nominations is that buildings that are classified as contributing in a National Register Historic District can be eligible for historic preservation tax credits and grants. So we want to make sure that property owners who are eligible to receive those um, funding opportunities can actually participate in those programs. So our projects um, began with a survey of the historic district. Um, Surveys include preparatory work, the actual field documentation, research, post field processing, and then um, recommendations. So our fieldwork was conducted in January 2022, um, which was an ideal time to document with the leaves off the trees. Um, I'll be very cold. (laughs) A team of two architectural historians, myself included, um, documented the properties using tablets to record information about each building. Um, We noted things like architectural style, exterior materials, um, and alterations. And then we took photographs with digital SLR cameras. All the work was um, conducted from the public right away. Um, Our tablets had GIS-based digital maps loaded on them with current property boundaries, um, building data from the city, and a high-resolution current aerial. And then um, we like to overlay our historic aerial, we like to overlay our maps with historical aerial photographs and maps. Um, That way we can toggle these historical layers on and off to help us identify changes to properties over time and when those changes happen. So here, for example, is a SNP um, of a block with a 1918 map overlaid on top. And from this, we can tell that the detached garage for the property at center left was built after 1918, right? And then there's an addition at the rear. Uh, so we combine our professional judgment with tools like this to um, accurately document changes to a property over time. Every property owner in the survey area was sent a letter informing them of the project and how to learn more. And then they were also invited to an open house where city staff and the project's architectural historians met with members of the public to discuss the project and gather information about properties in the district. After field work, we uh, set out doing research on individual properties and the general history of the area, which involved reviewing historical maps and photographs, um, archival newspaper articles, data from previous surveys, written publications, etc. Um, this The pictures here are interesting. They um, show how we compared 1986 survey photographs of the district with photographs from our survey to identify changes over time. Um, so, As part of the post field process, another thing we did was we digitized a 1991 survey of the district that we found on paper in the archives at the University of Kansas. And we matched each of our surveyed buildings with that prior documentation. Um, And all that prior data was reviewed and incorporated into the new digital data set so that the historical and current survey data now live together for the record, which is great. Um, all of our survey data goes through a two part QAQC process where it is reviewed by two architectural historians. And then, in consideration of a resource's significance and integrity, we make a recommendation regarding whether a property is contributing to the historic district or non contributing. Um, we also made recommendations regarding properties that may be individually eligible for the National Register, which I'll talk about uh, more in a bit. So the last step of the survey process was to submit the data to the Kansas Historical Society for the Kansas Historic Resources Inventory, which is their statewide database of surveyed properties, as I'm sure you all know. Um, So survey results. As a result of the survey, we documented 127 residences and 121 secondary resources like garages, carriage houses, carports, and sheds. Um, We found that overall the district was remarkably intact. It looked much like it did when it was listed in 1972. Um, Most houses still had their original windows, doors, cladding, and other architectural features. Um, Some houses had a new addition at the rear, but they were generally smaller scale and not super visible from the road. So we were really quite astounded. Actually, it's one of the most intact historic districts we've ever surveyed. So kudos to you all for that. Um, We identified only one property that was rebuilt with a new house since 1971, which again is really quite remarkable. Um, So demolitions and infills of primary resources are just non-existent basically. Uh, The addition of these traffic calming measures is a recent modification. Um, They change the district setting a bit because they distract from the feeling of a mid-19th to early 20th century century neighborhood, but really only minimally, um, plus they're reversible, so they are not that big of a deal. Um, so documenting and evaluating the ancillary buildings in the district for the first time was an important part of the project that really hadn't been done before. Um, we found the ancillary resources ranged from high style buildings like the one at left to more utilitarian buildings that still illustrate early residential living trends um, where the garage or the carriage house um, is detached from the residence and set off the alley, that sort of thing. Um, And together, the district's residences, their ancillary resources, neighborhood elements like the alleyways and the brick streets and sidewalk segments, and then small-scale features like um, hitching posts and landscape piers, together, all those things create a really strong sense of time and place from the mid-19th to early 20th centuries. So in consideration of each resource's historic significance and physical integrity, we assigned contributing and non-contributing statuses. Um, contributing resources illustrate residential architecture trends of the mid-19th and early 20th centuries. They also retain sufficient integrity to convey their significance, right? Uh, non-contributing resources are those built after the periodic significance, and um, also those built within the period of significance that no longer possess sufficient integrity. Um, Most commonly, resources are non-contributing because their wall cladding has been replaced. Um, Per Kansas Historical Society policy, as I'm sure you guys know, any building with modern cladding is automatically non-contributing. Small-scale resources like sheds were documented, um, but they were not categorized as contributing or non-contributing following current National Park Service standards. Um, And as you can see here in this graph, uh, in total 68% of the resources in the district were contributing, which is a pretty high percentage. The National Park Service is generally looking for over 50% contributing resources. But when we break that number down further, we can see that the ancillary buildings are driving that overall non-contributing percentage up. So 94% of the resources, excuse me, 94% of the residences in the neighborhood are contributing versus 50% of the ancillary buildings. So that 94%, that's huge, that's it's an enormous number. You don't often see um, contributing percentages that high among primary resources in a historic district. So that's fantastic. Um, most changes that have occurred in the district have been to ancillary resources through garage door or other material replacements, the demolition or removal of um, historical ancillary buildings or new ancillary building construction. Um, And though the ancillary resources help convey the feeling of an early residential neighborhood, they are less critical to the integrity of the district than the residences, um, which again, maintain excellent integrity. So we recommended five properties individually eligible for the National Register. Uh, Each embodies the characteristics of their respective architectural style and displays um, excellent design and craftsmanship. So after we finalized the survey data, the next phase of the project was to prepare the formal National Register nomination update. Um, The update summarizes the prior nomination and the changes we are making as part of this new amendment. It also provides newly required information, um, new technical information that didn't exist before like this GIS-based map, other other technical components as well. Um, The revised nomination, documents the current condition of the district through written narrative and photography. And then a critical part of the update is the revised inventory, which lists each documented building in the district, both residences and ancillary resources, and categorizes each as contributing or non-contributing. And then um, it includes narrative to explain how those numbers have shifted since 1972. So here uh, you can see as a result of the update, Five residences previously considered non-contributing are now contributing, um, typically because sufficient time has passed since they were built for us to understand their architectural uh, historic significance, or because uh, non-original wall cladding was removed and the original cladding was restored. Uh, another key piece of the update was to expand upon the prior explanation of the district's architectural significance. Um, part of that was placing the district within a broader context by connecting it to the Historic Resources of Lawrence National Register Multiple Property Documentation Form, that's a mouthful, um, which is something that was created in 2001. So this MPD is, um, it provides a framework for assessing the architecture of buildings in Lawrence and that provides a streamlined mechanism for listing a property or district in the national register or pursuing an update in our case. So this is the um, process for updating a national register district. It's three steps. Um, first the city reviews the nomination then it goes to the Kansas Historical Society for Staff Review. Um, the nomination does not have to go to the Kansas Historical Society's Historic Sites Board of Review because it is simply an update. We're not changing boundaries or anything like that, which makes the process a bit faster. We could just skip that step. Um, so after any necessary revisions from the staff comments, the nomination is then forwarded to the National Park Service for consideration. Um, and if they, can, if they approve it, the revised district isn't formally listed in the National Register. Um, and we can all have a glass of champagne to celebrate virtually. <laughs> um, so that is all that I have for you today. Um, again, thank you for having me, for helping Stantec help you with this uh, project. It's been a pleasure.
3: Mr. Chair Meyer, thank you very much. Is there any public comments on this item?
10: Uh, Dennis Brown, uh, Lawrence Preservation Alliance. I almost said president. (laughs) There's the president, Mike Delaney. Uh, I just have a little information for the consultant on a property that uh, was confusing to them, the uh, ancillary structure on the southeast corner of 7th and Louisiana, um, uh, which the consultant did label as uh, non-contributing. But they weren't sure if it was an infill or just... Heavily altered original structure, but it is an infill. Um, I was the uh, painting on that project uh, for the house, and there was a a really cool uh, uh, one-story multi-bay garage that was probably built in the 1920s to 1940s uh, that was fell victim to uh, arson. Uh, no one was ever charged we think it was somebody walking through the neighborhood it burned to the ground uh the fire was so hot that the reason i was there painting the s- south side of the wonderful two story house the uh late the the acrylic paint on the outside had bubbled up, and when you opened up the bubble, the rest of the old paint residue, the old oil paints, was literally the texture of sand, and it just fell to the ground. We were so close to actually losing that house, but uh, so they did, uh, it had to get reviewed, but the new uh the replacement plan was uh, approved, and that's entirely a replacement structure.
0: Mr. Meyer, thank you. Any other additional public comment?
4: Does anyone joining the meeting via Zoom wish to provide public comment on this item? Doesn't look like we have any additional comments.
3: Okay, this is Chair Meyer, then we'll bring it back to the Commission for Discussion.
6: I have a comment, uh, Commissioner Coleman. I was wondering how the boundary was drawn. Um, The submitted nomination uh, update, looks like it didn't have all the information that will eventually be completed and, and submitted. And when, Um, Sandy popped up the map on the screen. It looked different than the current map, so I was wondering how the boundary was drawn.
9: Lynn, do you want to take that, or do you want me to do it? I'm happy to. You can go ahead. Okay, this is um, Sandy Shannon again. Um, So the original boundary for the historic district, um, our understanding from Lynn is that uh, they basically created a boundary around an area that had neighborhood interest. Um, It was sort of arbitrary at the time. Um, And it was outside of our scope to reevaluate that boundary and see if we could expand it. Um, So we um, stuck to the original boundary. There is one um, technical map correction that we have in the nomination, um, which may be what you're referring to. There was a property that um, sort of got cut in half um, in the original nomination and the the residence was technically inside the National Register District and the um, ancillary building, the associated ancillary building was outside the district. So we just bumped out that parcel boundary to include, we bumped out the National Register boundary to include the entirety of that parcel, just like with um, other properties in the district. That was the only difference.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Chair Mayer, any other discussion by commission members?
3: I think you did a great job. Thank you. 50, 50 years seems due for taking another look at it.
4: <clears throat> yep. I, uh, Commissioner Harvey, uh, I agree. It was really informative and um, even fun to go through this. Thank you.
3: Mr. Chairman, oh, go ahead, Commissioner Klein.
0: Um, Commissioner Klein,
8: I would just add, uh, again, the same thing. Um, I, it's an incredibly um, fascinating historical reading and a wonderful documentation of all the extraordinary properties, uh, whether they're contributing or not uh, to the Old West neighborhood. So thank you so very, very much for your services. And uh, it's really exciting. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Chair Meyer, I I think we're all supportive of uh, the nomination. I don't think that requires anything else from us,
0: does it, Lynn, other than our commentary? No. All right. Well, good luck with that.
3: Okay. We will now move on to public hearing item number two on our agenda this evening, which is the Barker Neighborhood Survey number two.
1: Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. Like the previous nomination, the Barker Neighborhood um, Historic Resources Survey was funded with the Historic Preservation Fund grant through the State Historical Preservation Office. And um, the money is actually from the National Park Service. Several years ago, we did the Barker One survey um, that looked at properties between 15th Street and 23rd Street, and um, east, no, sorry, west of Barker. So, this survey, and I'll let the consultant go into the boundaries of the new survey, but this was to complete a survey for the entire Barker neighborhood and come up with any recommendations that the consultant may have. And with that, I'll turn it over to the consultant. Hey,
4: everyone. Excuse
11: me. I am Sarah McLaughlin. I am a Senior Architectural Historian with JMT. Um, I am also going to share my screen with you. Um, hopefully this, this will work successfully. Um, and um, let am you know, can you all see that? Yes. yes. Yeah, okay, great. Um, so, I make it go ahead. That would be the next step. Okay, um, just a little bit about us. Um, JMT is uh, an engineering firm with our cultural resource group sitting within that. Um, we have uh, offices up and down the east coast and over to Texas and have some staff in Michigan as well. Um, We have uh, over 30 people in our cultural resources group between architectural history and archeologists. Um, All of us meet uh, the secretary of interior standards um, for each position they hold. Uh, Myself personally, that is in uh, architectural history. So the scope of this project um, is is to complete a historic resource survey um, and building inventory for the, the second half of the Barker neighborhood. Um, to identify and evaluate the resources within there. Um, And then from that survey, recommend properties uh, and or areas that should be considered for listing in the National Register. Um, Our half of the survey consisted of approximately 346 properties. Um, And then the survey and inventory um, ultimately will be used um, to identify historic resources to assist uh, in the evaluation of different development projects. So this is just um, a map showing you the two phases of the project, Um, phase one in the pink and phase two uh, is is what we did. Um, I think the next, yeah, the next has the actual boundaries. Uh, So we went from Barker Avenue to Burroughs Creek Trail on the east and between 15th and 23rd street. So kind of a a spanning area um, covering a lot of different types of buildings and and years uh, compared to the first phase of the survey, which was a little more condensed. And um, I think there was a little more cohesion uh, in the first first phase. So again, these are just uh, the boundaries of the area that we surveyed. Kind of over the, over the years using some historic mapping. Um, so you could see in 1887 the property, the land was still kind of carved up into larger portion porcel- parcels um, and and not nearly as uh, developed. Um, even same same into excuse me 1912. Um, and then the the historic aerials I think kind of tell a lot as well. Um obviously, well, the earliest we have is, is 1937. And then you can see there's there is some development um in the kind of mid 40s and then a little bit in the into the 50s, but it holds off a little bit. Um and then ultimately a lot of development happens between the 50s, 60s, um, and then even more so into the 80s um, on the eastern side of the project area um, with some more commercial and industrial uh properties, uh, and some more, more modern infill. So our project phases, um, not to repeat uh, Sandy too, too much, I don't want to bore everyone to death, we held a, um, a kickoff meeting uh, in December of 2021. Um, we did field work, uh, and the same as uh, StanTech, we do a lot of data collection with tablets in the field, uh, collecting photos, all different property descriptions, um, be it materials or um, additions, condition assessments, everything that is needed for submission to the KHRI database. So from there, we submitted all of our findings and all of our data to be uploaded to KHRI Once they were cleared uh, by SHPO, then we updated photos of each property and maps of each parcel um, for for future reference. Uh, Once that was done, we compiled a report with our findings, um, which included um, a methodology, a survey summary, historic mapping, photos, so on and so forth. Um, As of right now, everything is submitted, all of the files and data is uploaded and I should be available for viewing on KHRI, I believe it's all approved. Um, and then the to wrap everything up is this, this public meeting. So a little bit about the, the styles of buildings that we found in our project area. Um, there was a very wide span of types and styles of buildings. Um, these these are all listed in the number that we have surveyed um during the during the survey from um national folk dutch colonial revival um with you know you can see this one has a the dutch colonial has a big addition on the back there was a lot of properties with additions um and a a good amount also with modifications like new windows um modern siding, replacement siding, that sort of thing. Um, Again, some more styles that uh, that we came across. Um, Definitely some great examples throughout the neighborhood. Um, There were um, some styles that we did not expect to see, like on the bottom left, the streamline industrial building, which is is pretty great, Um, although sitting empty as of when we were down there. So hopefully, Hopefully someday that can that can be reused again. Um, a lot of um, bungalow, minimal traditional, which goes along with the, really the development period of the neighborhood, um, at least um, our phase of the neighborhood. And then again, uh, a lot of ranches meeting that 50s, 60s uh, boom in development of the neighborhood. Um, and then a lot of kind of For lack of better terms, no-style buildings um, in the neighborhood as well. So this map gives you, I hope it's not too hard to see, but it it gives you an idea of the the dates of construction um, by decade for different areas of the neighborhood. Um, It's aside from that northeast corner of the project area, which was mostly built up in the 60s, It is a lot of kind of interspersed, a lot of mix, um, you know, sixties combined with thirties combined with fifties. It's all it's all um, um, real blocks of consistency in there, um, which speaks to the development of the area. Um, If that's not that's not a bad thing, it's just the observation of the of the area. So we took all of that information back um, to evaluated it, evaluate the buildings based on the NR criteria. Um, I sh- I'm sure you are all familiar with this, but I'll run through it um, pretty quickly. Um, there are four criteria um, that can be associated with either buildings or, or districts uh, for the National Register. Uh, the first criteria is um, something that's associated with an event or um, a broad pattern in history. Criteria B is something that's associated with um, the life of a significant person. Uh, C, criteria C is, is architecture, um, <laughs> quite simply. And D is um, an area that could yield uh, important information for the past. It's mostly archaeology sites. Um, so for this project, we evaluated uh, criteria A, B, and C. Um, So the findings for phase one of the project, um, which I should should say was not, we did not do phase one. uh, That was done previously by by a different firm, but these this was their findings. Um, They surveyed about 326 properties, um, which they found that 221 were recommended as contributing um, should there be, um, and 98 non-contributing, should the neighborhood support a historic district. Um, they found four to be individually eligible for um, the National Register, and these are the four um, the four properties that they they felt were um, were eligible individually for the National Register. Um, all on New Hampshire Street, um, two Tudor Revivals, a Craftsman, and an Italian
0: um,
11: style building. So this is um, the next couple of sizes, just going through with the, um, the determination and the reasoning for our findings for each criteria. Um, there's a little bit of um, explanation here. Um, so a little bit about the, the development of Barker Neighborhood, when and, and how and why um, a lot of it having to do with the growth of the university um, and actually the development of a, of a streetcar. Um, However, there there are no strong connections to either of those things um, that weren't listing under criterion A, um, because it lacks um, the association with any specific event or a broad pattern. Um, So under criterion A, we we found it to be not eligible. Um, Similarly, with criterion B, Um, Although it was named after um, a well-known politician and lawyer and judge, a man of, a renaissance man, if you will, Um, although it is named after him, um, it is not enough to warrant it being eligible under criterion B um,
0: for a significant person.
11: Um, And criterion C for architecture, um, there's a a little bit of background, according to the the National Register Bulletin for um, residential suburbs. Um, They often reflect popular trends in subdivision design, such as the picturesque style of the 19th century or FHA-recommended curvilinear plans. They may also reflect popular architectural styles, housing types, and principles of landscape architecture. Um, majority of the homes in our survey area were constructed prior to 1970 and represent common styles and forms with few exemplary examples resulting in a lack of individual distinction. Um, Similarly, like I said, a lot had um, exterior alterations including windows and wall material. Um, So when considered as a larger entity, the neighborhood lacks um, the community plan cohesion, planned landscape architecture, and significant architecture with um, kind of innate embodied design and style. So we felt that ultimately, overall, the the neighborhood was not eligible under Criterion C as um, either. I do believe my my feelings about the four individually eligible, which I will go back um, to them as well. of these four individually eligible resources, my strong feeling is that um, the house at 2045, New Hampshire is really the standout, um, the standout property of the neighborhood. Um, there were the other Italian building that we found is um, in Barker was already listed. Uh, So we didn't resurvey it, but this one is (laughs) kind of a standout example of the style and unusual style for that, for that matter in the neighborhood. So um, ultimately, there's more of a potential for individually listing properties within the neighborhood as opposed to the neighborhood as a whole. Um,
0: And... uh, I believe that was it. This is Thank you. <clears throat> is there any public comments?
10: Uh, Dennis Brown, again, uh, Lawrence Preservation Alliance Board. I want to talk about this uh, survey area in the Barker neighborhood a little bit. The one property. In the survey area that is listed, the Samuel Riggs house um, predates the rest of the neighborhood. It really has, uh, it's a fantastic property, but it has more uh, in common with uh, Haskell Row or the Miller House as being really uh, wonderful properties on large lots built outside of the city limits. And then the city grew around them to where. It, they were incorporated into the city. So uh, the neighborhood was built around that house, and the two don't really correlate at all r- other than uh, uh, proximity. Um, I, was, In reading the survey results, uh, 293... Oh... One more thing I want to say about that: the land development code consultant uh, uh, we're following that process too refers to a neighborhood like the Barker as uh, first ring, first ring suburban development. So beyond beyond the core historic neighborhoods, you're starting to get in a little bit of the era of the vehicle streetcars uh, so that first ring suburban development. So you've got Barker, you've got Babcock Place, University Place, West Hills, that's what those are. all are. Uh, So of 293 structures, residences, that were uh, over 50 years old, so potentially eligible uh, in the survey area, 102 were counted as ranch houses uh, two split levels, 76 had no style. So, um, by my count, that leaves, well, they counted later on, uh, styles that are represented in the state and national registers, Uh, 31 minimal traditional. I appreciated the consultants' uh, uh, comments on that style as being kind of a bridge between uh, the styles of the 1920s through the 40s. Uh, into the ranch houses of the 50s and 60s. Uh, I think that's a really good explanation of that style, which most people have never even heard of. I live in a minimal traditional. I didn't know that it that's what it was. <laughs> 31 minimal traditionals. That might be about the most in any neighborhood in Lawrence. Uh, 41 craftsmen bungalows. 32 others were in older styles that everyone is represented uh, on state and national registers, colonial revival, stuff like that. So that totals 104 properties with identifiable styles, not counting ranch, in the survey area. It includes the Dutch colonial revival at 1846 Barker. Uh, it was kind of on the uh, on the roundabout there by the bakery, uh, a couple blocks up, one of my favorite craftsman bungalows in the community, uh, 1602 Barker, the kind of yellow uh, brick uh Craftsman bungalow I'd say it's certainly in my top 5 of Craftsman bungalows in town and then uh the uh modern movement commercial property which is uh, I think it's occupied now on 23rd street uh it's a truly unique property at 400 East 23rd Street and so those were all picked out in the uh, in the survey but but then where I have to give some pushback, and I'm not an architectural historian, I'm not a professional like the consultant, but I have to push back against the conclusion in the summary that no individually eligible properties were identified. None. And it doesn't say so directly, but also no eligible districts. I know that the entire subject area can't be a district, but I wouldn't want to say that there couldn't be a district or two within that survey area. As the as the writing in the uh, document goes c- closer to the end, I'm quoting here, the district, and I think probably that should be changed to survey area. The survey area or district as is comprised, as is comprised of ubiquitous housing types which were constructed both locally and nationally throughout the period so i guess that means they don't really matter there's too many of them uh, no individual property possesses architectural distinction of the 104 and all have diminished physical integrity i have to quibble with the first part of that sentence i I think that's at least debatable. The second part of that sentence, I think, is outrageous.
3: This is Chair Meyer, is there further public comment?
4: Did anyone joining the meeting via Zoom wish to provide public comment on this item? Monica Davis, did you want to provide comment? I
2: did. You can go ahead and provide that now. Um, One, the materials that I had available um, did not show in phase two, any designation of contributing and non-contributing as did phase one, Uh, and I think if that material or information was collected, even though the uh, architectural historian has deemed this overall district as uh, not historic, um, it would provide value to subsections of the district possibly for nomination. Um, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that uh, William S. Burroughs was not uh, mentioned at all. His house is included in phase two. Uh, He is definitely a national uh, entity that uh, has significance to Uh, this district, uh, Burroughs Creek Trail was named uh, kind of in honor of the location of his bungalow at 1927 Lenard. Um, I agree with some of Dennis's comments as well. Uh, And on Just trivial note, it would be nice if the PDF file was completely readable and had been spell checked. So I would reject uh, it for additional rework to clearly designate Barker as the name of the district as opposed to Baker. That's all my comment.
0: This is Chair Meyer again. Is there additional public comment?
4: <clears throat> it does not look like there's like any not. other,
0: <clears throat>
3: sorry. Well, we'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. Um, I actually was sitting there thinking about that too. Uh, I guess my question to the consultant is that the issue of William Burroughs, did that come up at all?
11: Sorry about that couldn't couldn't find the mute button
3: um,
11: that did not come up at all um, it was we we've done we did research and we did a context in the in the report and that did not come up no one it was not brought up at our first public meeting um, so that is something that we have not come across
3: um, Chair Meyer, again, just out of curiosity, I, I mean, when you do the surveys, how do you get the historical information? So, for example, do you is it provided to you by, for example, the city or someone to give you background information, or that's just something that you all research on your own? Um, it's a combination of both.
11: Um, we did some research when we were down, um, doing the survey work at, at the library and uh, we had previous information from, um, from the city. So there's there's a combination of, of both ways of doing
3: research. Mr. Chairman, I guess maybe a question for Lynn is, do you know, like for example, the William Burroughs connection, is that any information that the city provided?
1: Then Braddock Zollner, Historic <coughs> Resources Administrator, that is not information that the city provided, but that property is listed in the Lawrence Register of Historic Places. And so would likely be something that we would want to include in a rewrite of the final summary of this document.
0: And that's fine. We it's not a problem
5: to include it. Oh. And then Commissioner Johnson, before we get off of the the topic of William Burroughs, I mean, the Creek is named after him. So um, that's pretty clear that that's an important part of this area's history. Um, Does, would the inclusion of that information change the evaluation of whether the district meets the criteria of being associated with a historic figure? it
11: wouldn't change it under Criterion B. Um, I I mean, the House itself um, could potentially be eligible under Criterion B then, but not the
0: the district or not a district.
3: This is Chair Meyer again. Uh, This is just kind of a general question, which is when, as time goes on and we have different architectural styles that may not have considered to be historical in the past but maybe in the future for example all these ranch houses for example is is that a situation where further in the future that might make something a district or might not oh, I mean
11: it definitely it definitely could I mean they're as of now they're considered historic structures they're over 50 years old I mean We've done surveys where we're looking at buildings that were constructed in the 70s and early 80s. Um, So as everything ages in, then they'll be
0: evaluated um, for being a historic building or a building type.
5: Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. I have a, a question about, I mean, one thing that the Barker neighborhood is known for here in town is for the the bungalows that are there. And so I'm I'm wondering about if this isn't a historic district or what what is to protect those bungalows that's such a resource of that neighborhood. So I wouldn't make
11: um i wouldn't make a district be- just because of the bungalows um it's not it's not a cohesive district with a lot of um contiguous uh properties that do that um that would make up that district the a possibility similarly to what sandy mentioned earlier would be a multiple uh property documentation form for the evaluation of other Craftsman buildings, um, but as it stands, you know it's. You would want it. You'd want them in a historic district if they a local historic district if they wanted to be reviewed by historic gui- or design guidelines. Um, but it doesn't. It
0: it's not enough. Just the cra- the bungalows to justify the district. Chair yes, yes, Jeannie, Jeannie, go ahead.
8: Commissioner Klein, um, yeah, I have similar concerns as uh, Dennis Brown and Monica about um, in particular, the the definition of significance, the fact that you're saying that the Barker area does not meet uh, Criterion B simply because George J. Barker didn't live there. Well, you know, it was just named after him. It had nothing to do with him. Um, I mean, you know, it, it was a time period kind of a thing that they threw the name on. Um, I'm wondering why you didn't include uh, the owners of homes particularly um you uh, know, list the owners of each of the homes, particularly those that were built the earliest, the 1890s and the early 1900s. Um, I understand your your concept about, you know, overall, there's not a, a unifying, you know, structural, architectural, thematic um, uh, perception of the whole neighborhood, but I'm, I'm troubled by the lack of significance of the people who live there. Um, And and again, going along with um, Commissioner Johnson's point about the bungalows, you know, who lived in those bungalows? Who are those people? Um, So I would really uh, strongly want to see a list of the owners names of the earlier, earliest uh, buildings um, included in that long list of, of all the residences, if that's possible, including boroughs, of course.
11: So I, that that's a, a, a big lift that's that wasn't included as part of the original scope of the project. Um, going back and you know pulling records, whether they be digitized or doing some deed research to find out who the oldest um, or older, uh, whether it be original or some of the original um, residents of the properties are there, there's, it, that's a lot of work that. Budget did not cover, or was not part of the original scope.
3: Mr. Chairman, uh, Commissioner Klein, are you saying that, that every initial owner of the property should be identified, or just of? some older properties just the older properties I'm not
8: saying you know the 1970s and and in 60s and 80s and so forth in the 2000s i'm I think it's most important you know as, as was pointed out the Riggs building um obviously was on the edge um and and has great significance it's already um, uh, a major uh, Lawrence uh, register um but you know I'm curious to know the owners of the 1890s and the night the 1900, um, ones and possibly the the um the bungalows. I I, I forget. Are those in the 20s and 30s? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and just because I, I I agree with Commissioner Johnson that boy, when I drive through the, the Barker neighborhood, those are the ones I stare at. You know, I mean, those are the ones that that speak to me or reach out. You know, as as having some historical significance. And and I'm just again curious to know who lived there. Um, I'm trying to remember. Again, I, I don't have, um, I don't have the knowledge in front of me, but I, I want to say Fred Pence was one of the folks living there now. Of course, he came along later um, in the 1950s and I haven't, can't remember which home he lived in, but um, I know there's you know again, I, I just would like to see a more more and, and I, I recognize you're saying it wasn't part of your um, um, uh, your, your purpose. For this phase of the research, but what I'm saying is, I think that this neighborhood um, area deserves more work in terms of who the significant owners were of some of these um, buildings,
0: particularly the older ones.
5: Well, and this is Commissioner Johnson. I I have to to quibble with the the notion that a district has to be of a a unified architectural nature to be considered a district. Um, A real strength of the neighborhoods during this time period is that there were different styles and there were different builders. And we uh, try to to foster that today and keep ending up with suburbia with the same house stamped out one after the other. And that's not the case with the homes in this neighborhood. Um, So that it's actually um, indicative of the time period that there are so many different homes in the district and that that is, is something to be protected. And so i I just i take issue with that. It's it's not a district because there isn't that unified nature to it. It's actually uh, the pattern is to be different, and that that is a, a strength of the district.
11: Sorry, I, I didn't mean. I I may have been misinterpreted. I didn't mean that it wasn't um, a district because there wasn't, you know, one cohesive style. That's, that's not what I intended. It was more the mention of the craftsmen and saying that, you know, just the craftsmen don't justify because there's a good amount of them and um, they just, they are not enough to warrant the district is is what I was trying to say. I did obviously, yes, the evolution of different building styles speaks to a district. Um, That is, I apologize for for being confusing
0: on that point.
6: Uh, Commissioner Coleman, I have a comment. Um, Sarah, thank you for your work on this survey. Um, I think it's a really hard thing to do what you did, you did, and then face all of our questions. And um, I, I think that when I read the um, the report, it seemed to me that you had used the National Register nomination uh, criteria to judge the district and the properties in the district. And I don't fault you for that. Um, I do. I would like to see boroughs. Um, considered in in the uh nomination but i i think we here are used to our districts and cohesive historic structures and this one if it's not i i think it takes somebody like you coming forward and telling us so thank you for doing that i i know it's hard to
11: hear i i um I always use the example of if somebody walked into my hometown, uh I would be and, and tried to tell me things about it, uh I would be very defensive. So I know it's probably not a popular um a popular decision, but our my and it, I mean it wasn't obviously just me. Um, it was my team's professional judgment that that landed where we landed. Um and I I do not Begrudge any of you for for disagreeing or um, you know voicing your opinions. That's that's what this process is about, and and for better or worse, uh, you know, every thing about what we do is a little bit subjective. <laughs> so
3: this is Chair Meyer again. I and I also appreciate the work that you did. I I'll go ahead and I guess. Say what's on my mind about it. I, it. The the whole East Lawrence area, I think, is a very sensitive topic for both East Lawrence residents and the historic preservation community. I think as a community, we think that the East Lawrence side is not given enough consideration a lot of the time, and so I, I think it's hard to read a report where it suggests that there's not significance to it, and it just feels like, yet again, it's not giving it, it's not getting the what's due. Um, I do agree with Joy in that there are criteria that you used and does it meet that criteria? Um, And is there any evidence to suggest that there are additional criteria that had you had it would change your mind? And, and, Yes, I think Burroughs needs to be considered. I was just Googling it. I didn't remember when he came to Lawrence, it was 1981. Um, so some of the prior historic uh, <clears throat> information d- doesn't sound like this suggests that there's anyone else of significance that have, people have been able to find. Now I recognize that you know some things are garbage in, garbage out. So if there's a lot of history or owners that you're not aware of, you couldn't have made a report on that based on that. But I think that sometimes we have to look at the fact that there's criteria that have to be met. And if it's not met, then it just, it doesn't it doesn't qualify in that regard. So, and I, I think it's also important to point out in the survey that, you know, there's both, I mean, there's the historic and significance piece, which just may not be, um, seems to be lacking and also the integrity of it. And so there's there's a lot of, things going on relating to that in terms of integrity of materials and that sort of thing that I think led to the decisions that that got made about that so um that's just kind of my off the cuff comments but so I appreciate the the survey while I'm personally finding it disappointing that that was the
2: result of that
1: Commissioner Meyer that may One of the great things about a historic resources survey is it gives us a baseline to start working from. The fact that the survey didn't find a cohesive district or many individual properties for listing does not mean that they aren't there or they couldn't be there. This is a baseline level to give us something to work for. So if we see a property that looks like it should be eligible, we go back to this baseline and say, okay, why wasn't it? What would make it more? And if we do additional research on it, does that change the outcome? So this doesn't mean that there aren't significant historic resources in the Barker neighborhood. It means that on this very cursory beginning survey level that they didn't meet those national register criteria when we were looking at it as an overall survey phase area. Um, It just means that that's the baseline we start with. So if someone comes forward with a property that they think is significant we start with that baseline and then build doing the research that's been discussed here tonight where you go back through you do the list of property owners from the conception of the structure try to find a builder if you can and see if there's anything there that would make it eligible for listing um, To keep in mind, this is for National Register of Historic Places listing. There is a lesser threshold for Lawrence Register listings. The way the grant works is that it has to be for National Register um, evaluation, but certainly we're finding some information in this that we can use for local listings. So just wanted to include that.
11: And that's that's a great point as if, if there is something for a local district um, and the, the concern is um, you know preserving the, the bungalows or preserving you know these these buildings that, um, that are important to, to Lawrence, the, the local district you, do, you have that and then you have a set of design guidelines and you have some more control over what happens to those buildings. Um, and the, like Lynn said, the threshold is a little bit lower, it's the criteria is more of a, on a local basis versus on a national basis. So
0: that, that may be a very good way to, to move forward. Ms. thank you. So I think what I'm hearing in
3: conclusion is this is a baseline. This is not the end-all be-all. And certainly we can work to improve it moving forward as we gather information. So any other commission comments on this item?
5: On well, this is commissioner Johnson. I I uh, would want a couple of things um, like a, just that the, the report should be spell-checked and like page six, the executive summary, the box cuts off information. So there's just kind of little okay. things like that in the report that just need to be tightened up um, before it's finally turned in. That's all.
11: Sure. I guess and that's a, uh, a trick when uh, Barker and Baker are both words that the spell check is not going to catch it. So yeah. I do very yeah. much apologize for that. That is not very professional at all, so I do apologize.
3: Okay, Chair Meyer, any further commission comment or any other comment for that matter? I don't see any. Thank you so much for your presentations this evening. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. We will move on to public hearing item number three, which is DR 23-00007822, Rhode
0: Island. Good evening, Commissioners. Lynn braddock Zollner,
1: Historic Resources Administrator for the city. Um, this is a demolition request for 822 Rhode Island Street. Um, The primary structure is a non-contributing structure to the North Rhode Island Street Historic Residential District. The accessory structure is a contributing structure to the district. It's important to note that the demolition and new construction request is for the primary structure. The applicant intends to rehabilitate and save the accessory structure. This is the project location here in the light blue-green color. The red that you see is the North Rhode Island Street Historic Residential District. The red and green dots you see, the red is for a non-contributing structure and the green is for contributing structures. So you'll notice that the house is shown in the district nomination as non-contributing and then the um, green shows that the accessory structure is contributing. This is the primary or the west elevation of the structure. Um, When staff went in to do an inspection um, for the project, someone before the previous, before the existing owner, previous owner had gone through and done much demolition. There was not really anything left and you can see here on the porch, they had supported it with columns or if you could call those columns, I will say posts. this is showing the rear of the structure, and you can see here some of the additions. You could also tell that from the previous slide. Um, if you see unique roof lines, this was obviously an addition here. Somewhere in the middle section was probably the original structure, and then this was a historic addition. This is that backside again showing um, the addition, and then um, probably what was a second story addition. This is the contributing garage that's on the property. And the proposal is to demolish, like I said, the primary structure and build a new duplex on the property. This is the site plan for that duplex. And you'll notice that um, like many structures in the district, um, part of the portion of the structure was pulled back to allow for that front porch. And then in the rear here, you have a garage that's spoken of, spoken to in your staff report. And then this shows the existing garage that will be reused. This is the primary elevation showing that front porch that's so important in the district. Although it does have an upper deck associated with the porch, an uh, upper deck on a front porch is not um, compatible with the district. It does not exist in the district now. You'll notice in your staff report, some discussion of the different materials that are proposed for the structure and then the large windows, um, which may not be compatible with the overall character of the district. This is showing the rear elevation here in the forefront. You see the existing garage that's to be rehabilitated. And then over here on the left-hand portion of the screen, you'll see that proposed carport. And This is the side elevation of the structure, and then the north side of the structure. One thing that's not mentioned in the staff report, which um, probably mentioned, is that there are solar panels. Um, designed into the structure. One of the things we look at with solar panels in historic districts is that they be on accessory structures or to the rear of the structure. So Staff would recommend losing these first probably four or five rows of panels so that it's set back, so it's not a dominant feature in the district. This is showing an elevation view with the height comparison to the structures to the north and south. The um, proposed structure would be uh, less in height than the new structure that's to the south. And then it would be taller than the existing structure. You just did a design review application for this structure. The small structure in the front was the original house. And then the addition is to the back and to the side of the structure. And there is a deck above... The addition to the structure but it's basically to the rear of the structure and not on the front porch. This is showing that same cross section where you see the rear elevation of the structure in height comparison to the structures on the north and the south. And this is showing a rendering of the project looking um, toward the project that the west elevation. Um, Staff is of the opinion that there are many great things about the proposed replacement structure. Just going back to the demolition of the historic structure, um, it's rare that staff would recommend demolition of a historic structure, particularly in a historic district. This one was considered non-contributing and doing a little research. The reason it was non-contributing was because of all the additions to the structure and also the artificial siding that had been placed on the structure. Um going um I met the owner and contractor on site and went through the house. um It has been totally gutted. There are a um, few remnants there are some of the lath left um from where the lath and plaster walls were there's some window surrounds that are being that are still there that are historic, but other than that um everything on the interior is gone. So staff is of the opinion that it does warrant demolition because of the condition of the structure, the fact that it was a non-contributing structure, and there's it's really difficult to tell what the historic structure ever was in the property. So the replacement plan, the overall, um, it's large for the site, especially when you consider that it was such a small structure on the site previously, and the smaller structure to the north But that structure now has a large addition on the rear, so it does help mitigate some of the overall size of this proposed new duplex. Um, So the height is within the range of heights within the district. Um, the applicant first submitted a design that did not have a front porch. They, after they read staff's evaluation, or actually it was before that when staff said you got to have a front porch, they went back and did a redesign to add that front porch. Was a really good improvement overall. The project is clearly differentiated from the existing structures in the district which is one of the national register um, criteria well the secretary of the interior standards is to be clearly differentiated Um, staff does believe that there are a few design details that could be worked out with the architectural review committee to make it more compatible with the district Um, perhaps looking at some of the siding materials removing the deck on the front, and then a particular note for staff is the um, proposed construction of a carport. Carports do not exist in the historic district. They're not a form that fits within the period of significance for the district and staff is strongly um, opposed to introducing a new form into the district in the form of a carport. So overall, staff thinks this is a really good start with just a few minor details that could be worked out with the Architectural Review Committee to make it more compatible with the district. So staff is recommending that you refer the project to the ARC to work with the applicant to refine the design so that it better meets the applicable standards and guidelines. And with that, I'd be happy to stand for any questions you might have.
0: Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
5: this uh commissioner johnson can you show me the carport you have a
1: this is the roof of the carport and then the columns Uh, go down
5: oh okay thank you and did you want to see where it is on site or is that Uh, no that's i i that looked kind of like a solid building to me in that drawing and so it like it was confusing okay gotcha
0: I'm sorry. I, one thing that I
3: missed is, are there solar panels on the carport? There are solar
1: panels okay.
3: proposed for the carport, too.
1: And that actually meets oh. the standards um, for um, sustainability. There's a set of Secretary of Interior standards for sustainability. And the recommendation is to put solar panels on accessory structures or to the rear of the historic structure.
0: Okay.
3: This is Chair Meyer again, I'm sorry, Commissioner Klein, you've got your hand up there.
8: Um, I was just gonna, um, again, my my first question uh, upon reading this is how did it happen that the interior had been gutted? Um, and I think it speaks to part of what we will be discussing uh, more uh, in regard to chapter two's focus on um, exterior appearances um, of of history uh, more than the interior. Um, So I'm disappointed that it's all been gutted. And again, it seems like we need to make, we're forced to make decisions based on the fact that that the interior has been gutted and and it needs to be replaced. Um, So I just wanted to make that point. Um, Second, I just wanted to give an FYI, I think somewhere in the report, it said that the building was built around 1906. Um, I did my little historian diligence duty and uh, discovered that the building I think might've been built around 1902. Uh, by Byron Jones, who was um, a meat market uh, business owner had a very su- su- uh, successful meat market in Lawrence for several years. And then sometime after that it changed owners and on through history. So I just wanted to make that point. Thank you.
3: Okay, this is Chair Mayer. Thank you very much. Is the applicant present? First. Sure. All
0: right. <clears throat>
12: Good evening, uh, Chris Cunningham from uh, CT Design and Development. Thank you for having us here, and thank you, Lynn, for the report. We had a little porch <laughs> previously, but yeah, I, we we did change that design to include a much bigger porch, and I think that was a good change. Um, I think we've got a great great project here. Um, you know, the existing house. Um, I can address the comments about the interior. It was previously bought um, by somebody else who thought they could rehab it. And I guess they got a little over their head and it just sat for a while and they just couldn't complete the project. So um, don't know a lot about that, but I think they had more, I guess uh, their eyes were bigger than their, their mouths, right? So um, anyways, um, yeah, the project is a new townhome. Uh, it will be a single family residence. Um, we're not looking to do apartments here. Um, I think that's important to know because that's, you know, we want to help the district in, in that sense that it's not going to be just a rental. Um, you know, we did, as Lynn mentioned, um, you know, we did try and bring that scale down, did the double gable uh, to help minimize the overall height. Uh, we've mixed up the materials a little bit, you know, so that it is interesting and fun. Great sized windows. Um, which, you know, clients are, uh, not clients, well, clients and homeowners like, um, you know, and, and the porches and, uh, roof decks, you know, we found through a couple projects that those are really nice amenities to homeowners and they really like them. Um, so that's why we want to integrate those. We've got the front, the deck over the front porch on the north side and then on the south side, it's in the back, um. We did, um, because of the existing garage, we wanted to keep that, rehabilitate that. Um, We went with the carport instead of a garage, just because we don't have a lot of space back there. And so we wanted to kind of open up that backyard a little bit. Um, So that was part of the reason to go with the carport instead of the garage. I think if we would have, you know, had a double garage back there that ran north-south, that would be, you know, that would have worked, but again, we wanted to re- rehab it. So, um, you know, I think it is a it's a it's a building of its time. Um, you know, we didn't want to recreate um, something that was historic, and I think we've done a good job. We've you know captured materials that are that are in the district. You know, with the brick, there's a brick house a couple down and, and further to the north. Um, you know, lap siding, common. So is the wood. So. Um, I think there may be some interest in, in kind of pushing this forward to see if there would be an option not to go to the ARC and what that would look like. Um, so I'll let Landon maybe speak to that a little bit. Um, did I miss anything else, Landon? I don't All think so. Um,
13: thank you guys for having us tonight and for Lynn for the report. Um, I think there's a couple of just a couple of things I'd like to mention, you know, I've been doing this about 10 years in East Lawrence and um, we did eight sixteen Rhode Island. And during that process, we saw this house had been vacant the entire time. And so worked with the owners that owned it at that time to buy it. So I hear that, you know, there is some frustration that the, the house is already, you know, gutted on the inside, but I can assure you that we had nothing to do with that. You know, the people that we purchased it for from had hoped to turn it back into a triplex, which is what it currently is. It has an upstairs unit and then two downstairs units. And uh, so we purchased it from them because they got over their heads and uh, the idea behind this house and the idea, you know, the reason that I hire Chris Cunningham is because he's, you know, he's familiar with designing houses in historic districts. And he also has, you know, a great way of kind of bringing it into, you know, what I would say is modern for lack of a better term. And so, if you look at this neighborhood, the Rhode Island district that we're we're talking about, there are certain blocks of the Rhode Island district that are what I would call intact. And this, in my opinion, is not like what I would say is an intact uh, neighborhood. Because if you look directly across the street from 822 Rhode Island, you're looking at two city-owned parking lots. And you're looking on the south end of this Rhode Island district is a parking lot. And you're looking at you know a commercial building i drove up i drove up the block on the way over here commercial building caddy corner that has large windows and stucco exterior cladding and you're looking down on the southern end another two-story flat roof commercial building so i heard in this you know in an hrc meeting a couple months ago um somebody had brought up a apartment complex that had come from a different historic neighborhood and one of the um, commissioner at the time i don't know who said it was said what's appropriate in one historic neighborhood is not appropriate always in another historic neighborhood. So I could see this house being, you know, if I tried to put it down in old West Lawrence, yeah, we might have like, you know, maybe it's not appropriate for that neighborhood, but I feel like in this neighborhood on, you know, 822 Rhode Island, I feel like it is an appropriate structure because if we change, you know, if we eliminate a lot of the siding options and if we downsize the windows, then we kind of end up with what has already been built to the south of this property, you know, which is a duplex that was approved in, I believe in the staff notes in 2016. And so, you know, we have an idea of what that looks like. And I think with this, we kind of, you know, we differentiate the spaces. We make it look like not such a large mass, Um, you know, the rooftop decks, I understand that they, you know, the front rooftop facade is not necessarily like a common feature in in lawrence but it is i mean i think it can be done to to look nice in the neighborhood um and then as chris touched on kind of uh, a little bit you know there's a trade-off i believe in my head that you know we loved you know anytime i come to a house that i can save or i can save part of it i try to do that in this house um you know i it's amazing it was built in 1902 but it's hard to tell which part was built in 1902 the best description of this of this house, and I was kind of hoping Lynn would come up with like a crazy architectural style I hadn't heard, but um, it was the Darth Vader house. And so, if you kind of look at it, it looks like the Darth Vader head. Um, and I just don't think, in my professional construction opinion, I just can't see any way to to save it. Otherwise, we would have tried. But we can save the the garage in the back. Unfortunately, the garage in the back faces the wrong way for us to put another garage in. So you know, it faces to the south right? my right? Faces yep. to the south. And if we jam another garage, you know, we bring another garage back away from that, would it be that south side where we have the carport? If we bring another garage and we build another garage, I feel like we're kind of just making a giant mess out of that that backyard. So that was kind of the, as I worked with Chris and his team, as we came, you know, like I was like, well, let's do two garages. And we, you know, drew a garage in there and it really just kind of eliminates all the light on the east side of that, now I'm gonna get really confused. The east side of that south unit, if we put a garage behind it, eliminates all the light into that building, and a carport seemed like a nice, um, a nice like kind of compromise um, to be able to save the garage and still be able to provide parking for the the uh, south unit. As Chris touched on a little bit, um, the long term plan of these is to form a condo association and sell them to single family. Um, You know, single family residences. Um, Most of what I do, I think all of what I've done in my career has not been, you know, when I build spec homes has not been turned into multifamily. Um, And so this is permanent as a duplex, but with the long term plans of of condoing it out and selling them a single family to kind of maintain that single family um, nature and bring some more single family um, houses into that neighborhood. And I think thank you for letting me talk. I think I covered all my all my points. <laughs>
3: Mr. Chairmeyer, thank you. Um, is there any public comment on this item?
4: Are there any participants in Zoom that want to provide public comment on this item? Does not look like we have any public comment.
0: I did have one, I'm sorry. Mr. Chairworth, go ahead.
13: I did have one other thing that I forgot to ask. Um, I would emailed Lynn earlier this week to ask if there was a way we could present this to the commission and ask for a vote, like a yes, no vote. And then if there was an option, if the vote was no, to still continue to go to ARC. And I think what, and if I say this wrong, Lynn, please correct me. But I think what she said is I can ask for a yes, no vote. And then it's up to the commissioners, if you guys vote no, to still vote to recommend that we go to ARC. So if I didn't confuse that whole thing, that's kind of what I'm asking for. Said I would like a yes-no vote on this as on is. the plans as is, understanding that you can say no and you can not vote a second time to send us to ARC and we have to come back with a new set of plans that kind of maybe take some of these considerations in. But no, we don't, pre- also if we voted no, you could take it up with the city commission. Which I don't plan on doing. Yeah. Like I mean, that was not. That's not the plan. I mean, we, you know, I think um I respect Lynn. We had a, you know, we were on a panel earlier today. I have no intentions of like trying to go over staff's head. I just think that this set of plans, you know, stands pretty well on its own. It does have some things that maybe don't aren't present in that neighborhood, but I think that neighborhood is a good opportunity just because it's been so impacted by the, you know, the commercial buildings and the parking lots and the and that it has like some opportunity to do, you know, maybe a little bit different things that you would be able to do in like an Oread neighborhood or like Old West Lawrence. So I guess that's kind of what I'm asking is for a, wait, am I asking that right? For a yes, no. Phone. <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying. Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry.
3: All right. This is Jeremiah again. Is there any other public comment?
4: Oh. It looks like there's one um, participant via Zoom. Stacey, if you want to provide your comment.
2: Yeah, I just would like to reiterate or to go along with Lynn's suggestions or ideas, the fact that carports are not part of that area, that a second porch is not part of it, that there would be consideration, some consideration for the materials sort of used in it, and the idea that Something different than old West Lawrence Oread is kind of an anathema to anyone who wants to keep many parts of East Lawrence the way they are, the way they used to be. In other words, not to put something modern into it.
0: That's my comment. Mr.
3: Morgan, thank you. And There's Jeremiah, well, Braddock Zollner Historic Resources
1: Ministry. This is one of the items that you received um, a letter for
3: public comment that was included in your packet from Lawrence Preservation Alliance. This is Jemeyeyer again. Yes, I was just about to say that, so um we do have a letter um, from Lawrence Preservation Alliance, uh, specifically from Mr. Delaney, in which uh The LPA is urging um, that the project go to the ARC um, to focus particularly on the reduction in the number of different siding materials, a reduction in the overall amount of glass on the front elevation and using more traditional window types in consideration of changing the flat portion of the front roof shown in the plans to something more compatible for a front elevation. And then additionally, there is also an email in the packet from K.T. Walsh, um, who was writing about this project. She is a resident homeowner in the North Rhode Island district. Um, she, I'm sort of summarizing it here, believes that the item should com- concurs completely with staff report, and that the item should go to the ARC. Um, I, you know, I will say she brings up another of issues that I think are brought up several times relating to uh, (laughs) demolition by neglect issues, gentrification of the neighborhood. Um, So I don't wanna minimize that. And I understand um, the perspective of interior being demolished. This isn't this applicant's problem. I think a, a greater problem I can pontificate since I'm the chair and I'm, I've got the microphone is, you know, the continual demolition by neglect in the city. And that's not a matter that's being taken care of, but I'm not really sure what people do who want to try to rehab properties and it becomes so costly to rehabilitate a property. And then if they want to sell it, 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 I mean, what do you do with the gentrification issue? But, um, so, uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, those are the two uh, letters, emails that we got relating to um, the project.
0: So, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion.
5: Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. I'm I'm going to ask a procedural question. Is it um, instead of like a yes or no and sending it to ARC, is it Possible to continue it until the ARC has looked at it, and then it comes back.
3: Well, this is Chair Meyer. I, we would need to take a vote to send it to the ARC, right?
5: <laughs> or
3: applicants sometimes just agree to it, and we do continue yeah. it.
5: I guess the I was confused by the needing some sort of yes or no vote. I I just just well I assumed that an option was just sending it to the ARC. This is Chair Meyer again. I guess
3: when I hear that, I guess the applicant would like to know if we would just approve it as it is. That's his goal. Thank but you. if we would not do that, then he's willing to go to the ARC. That's what I'm hearing. Is that correct? Can I speak to that You sure may.
13: <clears throat> so I think, yes, you did summarize that uh, really nicely. Um, I don't... I can't guarantee that this will be the plan that we would go forward if it gets changed dramatically, you know, like um, there might be if we can't do a carport, then can we really save the single fan- the single car garage and still get parking for the structure and i'm not that it's not me like trying to threaten anything. I'm just saying like I don't know that if this gets dramatically changed in a r c that this is the route that we'll proceed with if that makes sense, so it might be that we go back to the drawing board and you know if there's a current triplex and You know, we try for a triplex, you know, if you talk about gentrification, just to recycle a little bit, because you talk about gentrification and and, uh, demo by neglect. And yes, those are both really, you know, strong words in East Lawrence. Unfortunately, like the cost of building is so expensive and the cost of rehabbing is so expensive that especially with like a project like this, it's nearly impossible. If I were to save this structure that's here, it is nearly impossible to make that work on any pro forma sheet that anybody does. You know unless somebody was giving you a bunch of grant money or you're doing like a bunch of affordable housing money so yeah i would like I, I i'm willing to go to arc but if it gets changed dramatically then i think we might have to relook at it to still make it economically feasible to do so.
3: mr Chairman. Again, thank you
5: <clears throat> well and and so this is commissioner johnson i'll just i'll just say what's on my mind <laughs> um I actually don't have a lot of heartache with the carport. It could also be considered a pergola, I suppose. Um, I agree with the Lawrence Preservation Alliance's uh, letter and assessment about the siding and um, the deck um, and the windows. The windows on the, the right of the elevation have a look like... The windows for stairwells in large apartment complexes. and that's the the vibe I'm getting um, and so in that sense, it looks out of place because I'm expecting to see a stair it reminds me of the stairwells on the new dormitories up on campus actually. Um, and so that doesn't seem to really be um, very residential. Um, I like the front porch. Um, I think in a weird way that the pushing the building back that and the way that the front is designed at the moment is mimicking the back of 816 Rhode Island, which the whole purpose of having that back part, of 1816 Rhode Island was that it's behind the historic building and thus not prominent. And now this building is picking up on the design details of the back that was supposed to not be prominent, <laughs> if that's making sense. Um, and so if this went to ARC and it came back uh, where the front of the building um it had been changed and, and perhaps looks more like two row houses next to each other. Um, I wouldn't have a heartache with that and I don't have a heartache with demolishing the building. So there's there's my cards on the table.
6: Commissioner Coleman, I have a question. Did you look at the floor area ratio and what? how does that, does it fit into the required amount? of a, uh, you know, buildable site?
12: Yeah, I, uh, I believe that uh, we did some calculations on that and we were okay with that. Um, I'll have to double check that, but I think we we're all right with our open space and uh, coverage.
6: Okay. I just wonder because <laughs> it, it is a bigger structure on the lot for the rest of the, na- I mean, that neighborhood usually has smaller, homes on that size lot so it just made me think of what you know what is it and um I'm sure you did check it so I just
12: yeah like the like the house to the to the south it's huge (laughs) you know that's really big um comparatively um and I think one of the things that this project also does is it it gets the building situated right on the lot where previously the house was like six inches from the property line. Mm. Um, so it, it, there's a little bit more space there uh, as well.
6: Okay, thank you for that. Um, I, I'm i supportive of the project. I think that it's a nice design. I've seen what Landon has done around town and I, I know what Chris does. So maybe I'm biased, but um, I think there are some issues with the windows that the windows on the front facade are too large. And I would like to see a higher sill height and a double window look instead of a storefront look i think that would go a long way to making it look more in character with the district or the area and not um and not too modern and the other comment that i have is that the brick while on the first floor behind the porch i think is um is consistent with the rest of the neighborhood i don't think that the brick around the sides or on the the kind of front um, piece that that comes out I don't think that's consistent and I think it would be more consistent if it was uh, lap siding um, as the surrounding but I think you're really close and I uh, don't know what the previous ARCs have done but I don't see the ARC as um, changing designs drastically. I see the ARC as assisting the owner with um, a design that will pass the commission. So I hope you're not scared. I don't know if it's the scheduling of it that's an issue. Yeah, so and,
12: I, and I think that's exactly it. I think you know there's a there's a desire to get the project rolling um you know just you know again the process. Um, you know, if there's a way, you know, I don't, I don't think that we're opposed to going in and making some modifications, but it's the the extra two months that I think there's you know some reservations about. Um, you know, if, if there's a way to streamline that, you know, I'm happy to make some changes. I mean, we're, we're happy to do that, but uh, I think that's something that you know we're willing to work with you guys on. Um, but I think there's also a desire to get going.
7: So Well,
3: this is I'm not on the ARC, so I'm not, I'll leave that to other people who are on the ARC um, in terms of scheduling that. Maybe I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but I don't think, I think everyone or most of us would rather see it go to the ARC to tweak some of these things. Um, I, I don't hear anybody s- saying, change the footprint, change anything totally dramatically. I think your point about the windows is good. I mean, if somebody has some west-facing windows, particularly upper level, when the sun goes down, that's that's a lot of sun. But um, and I think the storefront look is actually a good point. Um, I I sort of take issue actually with that upper level balcony myself. <clears throat> um, those are two of my bigger concerns, probably. But maybe you ARC folks can say more about that.
7: And I'd say for me, I think my comments and concerns are similar to some of the others that have been expressed. I do think it's <laughs> close. Um, I will admit on a personal level, I'm sad to see that ramshackle house <laughs> go because every time I walk by, I'm intrigued. Um, but because of its dilapidated in nature, which is no fault to yours, so I'm excited to see a project um, that will go there. And I think something very akin to this would be a great addition. My biggest concerns are that front porch and the applique of the brick on the sides where it's, I think I, I tend towards simpler materials um, and think that fits in with, you know, just a little less. Um, but I think the overall form is is pretty darn close. I, I also think, um, I know you referenced a two-month delay, uh, Lynn, assuming we could get something we're on a normal, it would hit the ARC in two weeks, wouldn't it?
1: It would, on the first Thursday of the month, would be ARC, and then you could be back here for the March
0: meeting.
7: So, a month, but.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Commissioner Klein.
8: Yeah, Commissioner Klein, I just want to chime in and agree with uh Commissioner Johnson on the, that I don't have any problems with the carport necessarily. And um, and I think so the more solar panels, the better. Um, I understand all the concerns about um, having uh, uh, various parts that, you know, as, as Commissioner Holly mentioned as well, have, have uh, and the LPA have characteristics more in keeping with the um, East Lawrence neighborhood. Um, and I would hope that the uh, ARC would again, take into consideration the economical, uh, uh, costs of uh, inefficiencies of, of making it as m- most economical as possible um, for the uh, applicant. So um, if there's no other further comments, if you'd like a motion, Chairman Meyer, um, I could move um, unless there's more discussion. I don't wanna cut it off.
3: Mr. Chairman, thank you. Um, I I did want, I guess I did want to point out one thing is just Lynn's comment earlier about the solar panels. Like, I think that may be something to be addressed in terms of taking a few of those off or moving them back so they're not as easy to see. But, um, you know, I think think one thing for me, just in terms of all the different materials, is it's hard to kind of get a read on what that looks like when we're looking at a black and white, image of it as opposed to like if you knew what you were doing and then we could see all the differences in the facade with with those different materials but i'm fine with sending it to the arc so i guess the question to commissioner klein's point about the motion um i guess does anyone want to just make a motion to approve the project as is right now is anybody going to make a motion to that effect <laughs> or or the other option is just to uh, make a motion as is recommended in the staff report to send
0: it to the ARC.
8: I would move to uh, send the
5: uh, project to the ARC, Commissioner Klein. This is Chair Meyer, is there a second? Commissioner Johnson, second.
3: Okay, there has been a motion and a second, so we'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Irby. Or is Commissioner Irby still here? Actually, oh, get i get Yeah, I think she went off some time ago.
5: Okay, uh, Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Rizelle.
7: Commissioner Rizelle, aye.
5: Mister Klein. Mister Klein,
3: aye. Mister Coleman. Commissioner Coleman, aye. Mister Holly,
7: aye.
3: And Commissioner Myers, and aye. So that motion carries six to zero. Good luck. I'm have every confidence something is going to come back next month and yeah, it will be fabulous.
6: A point of clarification Commissioner Coleman, do we must we wait
0: 2 weeks to meet? If we can schedule
4: a time
0: before then, we can do that. I think historically that's
3: been the snafu, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's schedules.
1: <laughs>
0: Here all the time. Uh, I can send that on email and see what we can do.
3: All right, Chair great. Well, good luck. Thank
0: you, guys. Thank you.
3: Okay, we will move on then to the fourth item on the agenda this evening, DR dash 927
0: Indiana Street. So this is 927
1: Indiana Street. It is demolition of an accessory structure and it's being reviewed under the OREAD neighborhood design guidelines because the property is located in the OREAD neighborhood design overlay district in UC3 medium density. I want to point out, you could have uh, probably saw in your drawings, I might should have been a little more clear in the staff report. This is part of a project. Um, There's an addition to the primary structure that met the guidelines that staff approved administratively because of the way the guidelines are written. Anything that's over 50 years old for demolition must come to the Historic Resources Commission for review. So that's why the addition is not part of your review, but the demolition of the accessory structure is. This is the project location. Indiana Street is along here. Um, The structure faces east and the accessory structure is here on the alley. This is the accessory structure in question. Um, one thing of note, and it was before most of the commissioners on this commission, but these are red tile clay bricks. They're hollow bricks and they, are, um, they were used primarily for accessory structures. They were never um, intended to be um, substantial for longevity. They have... Um, inherent design flaws when they have a great amount of pressure, Commissioner Hawley may know more about them than (laughs) I do, (laughs) but that is the basis for this structure is those um, type of brick. Mm -hmm. This is showing a close-up Um, When staff was looking at the structure, there's some interesting things going along with this ledger board and where the roof is and the roof design that leads to the conclusion that it might not be the historic roof, that this could be in a later addition. And this is showing the side elevation of the structure. You'll notice where that um, connection was to the roof. If you'll also notice that because these bricks fail, one of the first things people do is they think we will slather some Portland cement in the (laughs) cracks, and that'll make it all better. And as you can see, that really exacerbates the problem and causes further deterioration and collapse of those modular bricks. This is the alley view of the house, and you can see some of the wood rot around the garage door. And then this, I believe, is the north elevation of the structure. This is showing some of the damage of the structure. You'll see, well, someone was trying to get in and do some repointing to help strengthen that, and it caused the total collapse. You can tell in this brick a little bit how it's leaning, and you have a total collapse of this side of the brick. And then all of the roof structure was um, on these Um, load-bearing walls that have caused it to deflect, and there's quite a bit of deterioration on the wood framing of the structure as well. So, while staff always recommends rehabilitation rather than demolition because it does remove the chance for someone to rehabilitate the property in the future, staff is of the opinion that because of the structural condition of the structure, that it does warrant demolition and that it meets the intent of the development and design standards for the OREAD Neighborhood
0: Design Overlay District. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Chairmar, thank you. Um, I think the applicant is
3: appearing by Zoom. You
10: Correct. feel free to speak or not. If you have any questions for me,
3: <laughs> okay. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item?
4: Is there anybody participating via Zoom that would like to provide public comment on this item? It's not, it does not look like we have any public comment on this item.
0: Okay.
3: This is Chair Meyer again, then we'll move it back to the Commission for Discussion.
7: I'm impressed I've, it's still standing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> This looks like a, a Dutch colonial accessory structure that merits saving at all costs. No, I'm kidding, Mr. I'm not. I, I don't mean that. Uh, it does sort
10: of look Dutch colonial, though. I, I agree with you. I don't think we should tear it down.
3: All right, we'll remove that from the agenda and move on tonight. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, I no one likes to see things. Uh,
6: uh, Commissioner Coleman,
3: go ahead here. Uh, so
6: the structural clay tile is not usually an exterior material, and I would expect that this had some type (laughs) of exterior material at one time that has been removed so it yeah
7: yeah plastered or wasn't
6: made to stand alone and weather the elements
8: hmm. uh commissioner klein is as, as usual i did some historical a little historical uh work to find out that apparently some previous owners mr and mrs Schillerston, uh sold some nursery plants uh from this spot so i was trying to imagine if this was possible uh, you know in terms of what the structure looked like i don't think the structure we're looking at today is what they were looking at back in the 1910s, um, but I just was trying to imagine what it could have been. Like the, I saw the the limestone base, but like you say, the brick seems to be so much newer or later. Um, so um, maybe she just had it in the backyard. I don't know, <laughs> but um, I would concur that um, um, it's a structure that um, is beyond repair and. Um, it's sadly wouldn't need to be demolished.
3: Mr. Chair Lynn, Linda, did you go inside the upper level there? There's no photos. I did not go inside the upper level.
1: The bottom level of the structure includes um, all of the construction material that they're using for the interior and the remodel of the primary structure. And thought it was safer just to do my evaluation from the exterior.
3: That does look sort of like a newer window on the front of it. I believe the previous owner
1: was using or trying to um, create a living unit up there. Oh. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, okay, I guess I would entertain a motion if anyone would like to make
5: one. <clears throat>
7: I would move to find that the proposed project meets the intent of the development and design standards in the Oriad neighborhood district. Does it design guidelines? I inserted a fake word there, design guidelines for the Oriad Neighborhood Design Overlay District.
0: Perfect.
5: Is there a second? A second. Commissioner
3: There has been a motion and a second. We'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Ezel.
5: Mr. Zell,
3: aye. Mr. Klein, Commissioner Klein, aye. Mr. Coleman, Commissioner Coleman, aye. Mr. Hawley? Commissioner Holly,
7: Commissioner Holly, aye.
3: Commissioner Myers, and aye. That motion carries six to zero. So good luck with your project and thank you for being so patient uh, just to get done quickly.
10: Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it.
3: All right. Uh, the next item on the agenda is Chapter 22.
1: Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. This is another opportunity for the public to comment on the proposed revisions to Chapter 22. The addition to your packet um, for today's meeting was the Illustrative Design Criteria For the drawings, Um, until now, we've just had the verbiage and the document for you to look at, and now the drawings are actually available to you for your review. So you don't have to comment on them tonight, but we did want to go ahead and get those out into the public so that public can comment and that you can also comment, you're welcome to comment tonight. That would be great. Um, your March agenda is not very heavy. And so what staff would propose and um, for your March meeting is to go through article by article and give staff direction on what you would like to see come back in April as a
3: final document. Mr. Yes, Chair Meyer, that sounds great. Is there any public comment on this item?
4: Is there anyone participating via Zoom that would like to provide public comment on this item? There's no public okay. comment.
3: All right, this is Chair Meyer again. We'll bring it back to the Commission for discussion. I like illustrative things. So,
7: Me too. Lynn, I did have a question about illustration three.
0: Okay. Yes,
7: which is so there's it's a compound <laughs> exhibit. which does the words not this apply to?
1: I believe that goes with the top drawing. Okay, that would be my hope.
5: <laughs> so we probably need that to would
7: be my hope that. too, but yeah. I, okay <laughs> I just Well,
5: and this is Commissioner Johnson, so. On Figure Three, the um, the illustration that is the this,
0: <sighs>
5: um, that kind of sort of reminds me of the what we just looked at a little bit, um, where the the front porch is kind of cut off by a part that's jutting towards the front. And I'm I I I, <laughs> I can't wrap my words around it, but that does that looks off to me. Um, so that I'm not sure I want that as the good example. I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Because then you have towards the front building line with those other front porches just a blank so a, a a wall and not a porch or not a setback okay and so i don't know if anybody else has any comments about number 3 But I have a question about number one.
6: Uh, Commissioner Coleman, on number three, are you thinking that there are two lines of demarcation, one for the porch and one for the main building form? Is that what bothers you? Yeah,
5: yeah. And is that what they're trying to say? I I don't know.
6: The part that (laughs) bothers me is I don't think you'd have an addition or a, a side structure to a main structure. With two roofs that that drain to each other. It looks weird, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just
0: yeah nitpicking now.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. When were Mar- you doing butter? all the drawings?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it can be um manipulated and We
6: should put this in our comments for next month. Correct.
0: We're happy requires somebody with
3: more drawing skill than I have. I can tell you that right now. (laughs)
7: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, one comment on Figure One. I guess I'm just. I'm also not sure. Is the leftmost an illustration of? this that it's approved or that's uh within the guidelines or is that an outlier
1: the the green structure is showing what's
3: not recommended okay i don't know would it be easier on everyone to like put something that's this and not this or yes i mean like you know i think i think maybe like um the trust does some National Trust, don't they do some of these like brochures and stuff that show photos of actual properties? I'm not saying we would need to do that, but that might be better than just highlighting the irregularities. Okay.
5: Yeah, well, this is Commissioner Johnson. it It does seem like that they all should have a this, not this the but particularly the number one. Illustration. I didn't know if that was showing me good, bad. I just and whether the short one was a, trying to illustrate an accessory structure. Um. So it 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 confused me. Well,
3: I think the Mr. Morgan. I think the point with the highlighted ones is to show a what what's not correct and then like on number 3 to point out the area that's that's new construction right i mean so then it's this not this let's
6: uh <clears throat> commissioner Coleman, some of them are what you're supposed to do so like number yeah. 2 and right. number 6 yeah. yeah yeah
7: i will add a comment um thinking about this and please just take it for a possibility. I I think this is a graphic document looks great with one color, but there I'd be interested to see what if the not this is were red and the this is were green, like a stoplight and at a Mm. intuitive level without reading the diagrams, you can kind of see this is bad, but it might it might not work. But something like that might might be worth a quick test.
5: On this is Commissioner Johnson. I'm wondering about when looking at number 4 and number 5, number 5 is illustrating setbacks, but then does it violate number 4 directional expression? <laughs>
7: <laughs> the roof form? Yeah, I just yeah. I don't
5: know.
0: I think these are fair points because yes, someone sure would so say that. <laughs> <laughs>
7: yep. <clears throat> yeah, the oh the setbacks are good, but please ignore this other aspect <laughs> we've drawn.
0: This is Chair Meyer, Commissioners Klein or Zell, do you have anything to add?
8: I've always been spatially challenged, um, so anything to help clarify would be fantastic. Because um, when I look at number four, it, I, it I'm reading it as the backs of the houses. That's not the front street. So, mm. you know, I I don't know. I'm I mm-hmm. there's multiple interpretations. I think for uh, several of these.
3: This is Chair Meyer-Lynn, is this helpful information? No,
5: very. Thank you. Did you say no, Barry? No, I mean. <laughs> <it's helpful. laughs> well, and this is um, Commissioner Johnson. I, I am, I am hopeful that having illustrations like this will help applicants, like what we saw earlier this evening, to be able to come here with something that they know is going to get a yes. Instead of it having to go to the ARC, um, because if if I were using these illustrations with what we looked at earlier, I would have said, I don't I don't get number eight and I don't get number nine. Um, and in what's being presented, I would like to see those adhered to. So I can see where this would help applicants be able to come with something, that they are real much better knowing that they're going to get a yes.
0: <clears throat> All right, this is Chair Meyer. Any other commentary on this? Last call. All right. Lynn has diligently
3: taken all those notes, so we'll then move on to the next item on the agenda, which is miscellaneous items, my favorite part of the evening. Do we have any miscellaneous items from anyone? Oh, sorry, Commissioner Klein
8: uh commissioner klein i just wanted to point out that uh, uh commissioner irby and commissioner johnson is this are these your is today your last meeting your last term end of your term is what i was reading online and so i was curious to know if we're going to have uh what would it be four more new commissioners for our next meeting in march is that am i being accurate or not or is
1: No, this was Commissioner Irby's last meeting, and she's not eligible for reappointment. (laughs) Commissioner Johnson is eligible for reappointment, so hopefully the mayor can twist her arm um, to come back for another term, and then those are the only two um, positions up for right now.
2: Okay,
8: great. So I just, uh, on the record, I just would like to thank Commissioner Irby for her service.
3: Yeah. We we Yes, chair this is here. chair Mayor, and I regret that I did not realize that or I would have said that to her. So yeah. thank you for pointing that out. Yes, thank you. Is there is there a point coming up where there is to be a new chair just incidentally? <laughs> Isn't there a didn't we discuss once upon a time that there's terms for chairs?
1: We did and I believe you started in January so you would finish in January. I'll double check, though. It may have been March. Of what year? (laughs) Of last year. So I'll double check and make
3: sure. Okay. All right. Well, I I don't want to hog the the chair position. So anyway. All right. (laughs) Moving on then to the next part, which is the adjournment of the evening. So I will move that we adjourn, and that's the end of the evening. Thank you, everyone. It was as long a meeting as
0: I can recall. So we did a (laughs) bang-up job. Thank you.